Welcome to the VO2 Lounge, a podcast dedicated to exploring the science behind current fitness trends. I'm not a sports scientist or a doctor, just an engineer with a passion for exercise performance. I spend hours delving into various sources and sit down a few times a month to discuss various topics, breaking down papers, articles and publications to better understand them, saving you from endless internet scrolling. Welcome back. In this episode, we'll be talking about the most productive way to build muscle. A little tongue-in-cheek, I know, with all the productivity things going on at the moment. But I thought it would be good to understand the minimum effective dose for building muscle. Strength training increases muscular strength, induces hypertrophy, and provides numerous other positive health benefits, including improved functional ability, cardiometabolic risk profile, and general well-being. Strength training is therefore recommended as an interventional strategy for the general population and not just to look buff. However, the majority of people refrain from performing strength training and other forms of exercise due to a lack of time or a lack of enjoyment and that can't really be overlooked. The aim of this episode is to come to a conclusion of the minimum effective dose for various training uh, modalities that being how little can you go to the gym and still have improvements to health and your physique. A typical strength and hypertrophy program for untrained and intermediately trained adults involves training all major muscle groups with 2-4 to four sets of 8-10 to 10 exercises for 3-12 to 12 repetitions with 2-5 to five minutes of rest between sets carried out over 2-4 to four, uh, times per week. They can often include a warm-up, stretching, Uh, resulting them in often exceeding over an hour. I aim in this episode to review the evidence as to how strength training can be programmed for optimum time efficiency, strength and hypertrophy training that is. I'll also cover the efficacy of several popular time-saving advanced training techniques, i.e. supersets, drop sets and rest and pause training, whether warm-ups and stretching should be included in this workout program and where they should be programmed, and how much training is actually required to maintain strength and muscle mass. Let's start off with the principles of strength training. Now, if you're a long-term listener, many of these bits you will have heard before, and you will also heard an entire episode somewhat similar to this episode. However, in recent light, I've reviewed further bits of evidence and adjusted the episode in places and added different training modalities to encompass what the latest science has to say. So let's get into things. Now simply put, muscle hypertrophy or growth refers to the increase in muscle mass. You have skeletal muscle which connects uh, to the bones via tendons and are responsible for all human movement. Bundles of muscle fibers known as myocytes make up skeletal muscle. Now each myocyte contains myofibrils that allow the muscle to contract. Myofibrillar hypertrophy refers to when the number of myofibrils increases this, is, this causes muscles to increase in strength and in their density. The muscles also contain a sarcoplasmic fluid. This fluid is an energy resource that surrounds the myofibrils in the muscles. It contains adenosine triphosphate, glycogen and creatine phosphate and water. During a workout, more fluid moves to the muscle to provide energy and that's where you get a pump from. Sarcoplasmic hypertrophy refers to an increase in the volume of fluid in that muscle. It can make muscles appear larger but does not increase the strength. This is where you get things like creatine when you're using that and you increase the amount of 
uh, fluid in the muscle can make them look larger. They're not necessarily stronger, but they are definitely larger. Muscle hypertrophy occurs when the muscle protein synthesis exceeds muscle protein breakdown and results in the positive net protein balance in, in cumulative periods. This could be achieved with both resistance training and protein ingestion, which stimulates muscle protein synthesis and leads to uh, decreases in muscle protein breakdown. Obviously, resistance training in that equation being the most important and then muscle protein synthesis being induced by protein intake is almost facilitating said growth, but it is not the lead um, in the process. Generally, this involves training against resistance that gradually increases over time, also known as progressive overload. The strain uh, this place on muscles causes damage to muscle fibers, which the body then repairs. Repeatedly challenging the muscles in this way causes them to adapt by growing in size and strength. Depending on how the modality is used, one may occur faster than the other. People can train to promote muscle growth by focusing on strength training, doing a variety of exercises and getting good quality sleep. One of the things that I feel like is often overlooked is that overall sleep quality, sleep hygiene and so on and so forth. I do actually have an episode on sleep. I have thought about redoing it uh, and elaborating further on it to provide a bit more of a holistic and greater overview. But for now, sticking to muscle growth. Also an important note is isometric, concentric and eccentric contraction. Isometric is holding a pose, concentric contraction is muscle shortening and the eccentric is the muscle lengthening. These are ranked in order of stress on the muscle. Now, what is also important is understanding these because we're going to mention them later and there's certain principles of strength training we're going to glean from these different contractions as to how we are going to optimize training and how we're going to pick the movements that we're going to use, which in some cases may go against what you normally would believe to be the best uh, movements for gaining muscle. But when we're on this time crunched program, it is important to consider these contractions. So now a good place to start is training frequency and volume, considering it will have the largest impact on how much time your training takes up in a given week. Standard thinking would say that you need to be in the gym at least three times per week to see real gains in mass and strength. Recent ish studies in 2018 seem to suggest that the number of days spent training is not the determining factor and instead the total volume is, meaning that if someone can compact three days worth of volume into one, they would see similar if not identical gains. Now obviously where this falls over is when this is not possible and that's why bodybuilders don't train once a week. But for an average Joe, it looks like one day might be enough. Training volume and frequency is also heavily affected by your current training state, age and goals. Several studies have demonstrated that performing only a single set three times per week is effective for increasing strength and hypertrophy and the American College of Sports Medicine or the ACSM even states that performing a single set two to three times per week can be beneficial especially for older individuals and novice trainees. I can vouch for this uh, from when I was uh, under trained at school. I took a class that was uh, physical education and part of it we had to do a uh, strength training-esque program 
I could barely do push-ups and my methodology for getting to the point where I could do them was literally I'd be on my PlayStation, I'd go to the toilet and on the way I'd try get a press-up in, I'd do one with good form and then go to doing two more maybe on my knees and simply that small stimulus got it to the point where within a week I could actually do like 10 in a row because just the coordination that was improved and so on and so forth. So definitely really somewhat unstructured and small amounts of volume in untrained athletes is going to have huge effects. The results from a recent meta-analysis indicated that single set training also can have a positive impact on training in, uh, on trained individuals. Although the effect was suboptimal, performing a single set of 6 to 12 reps using 70 to 85% of one rep max as the load for two to three times per week, per week was identified as a minimum effective training dose for increasing one rep max strength in resistance trained men. Defined as having a minimum of one year of resistance training experience is what they defined um, resistance trained men as. However, the optimal number of sets is still somewhat-ish controversial topic. When I say controversial, I mean it just depends where you look to some extent and I suppose how entrenched in the science the individual is and what's where, what their methodology is. And some authors advocate the, nece the necessity of high volume, so greater than 10 weekly sets, to optimise the hypertrophic response. The 2017 meta-analysis uh, stratified hypertrophic gains across a pooled literature for five weekly sets, five to, well, less than five weekly sets, five to nine weekly sets, and 10 plus weekly sets, reporting increases of 5, 7, and 10% respectively. These findings indicate that although a high training volume appears superior to maximize muscle uh, adaptions, it is possible to improve both strength and hypertrophy when training with relatively no number of weekly sets. For this reason, performing at least four weekly sets per muscle will be satisfactory for at least our goals here of the most productive training plan. Then, the inclusion of higher training volumes should be de uh, determined based on individual response taking into account whether the uh, additional time expenditure is worth the potential ad, um, additive increases in muscular adaptions. These sets can be distributed throughout the week as desired. I think it's also worth mentioning that a past Huberman Lab episode with Dr. Andy Gulpin suggested that a target of 10 to 20 sets per week, which is clearly much higher than these recommendations, so we will consider this when making the plan. It's also worth noting that the, a set could be counted if the muscle is either a primary or secondary mover. So a chin-up could be both back and biceps depending on how the activation is for the individual. Now the easiest kind of way to, in the early stages, understand if something's a secondary mover other than just looking it up and researching it is that simply if you were to do, say, uh, a press up or a bench press and then just go straight into some kind of like overhead press or, and you can feel your shoulders already you can clearly see they are secondary movers to maybe uh, pectoral muscles again worth noting is the fact that i think that episode on the huberman lab podcast was much more specific to some extent a maximal amount and definitely the 20 sets per week is undoubtedly on the higher side we've got extremes here of four sets being 
adequate and 10 sets being adequate. So the way we can do this is we will identify large muscle groups such as the quadriceps where, okay, we are going to target 10 sets a week here on this muscle group. And then smaller muscle groups such as like the biceps we and the, uh, the abdominal muscles, for example, we will target a lower minimum amount of four sets so that that's the methodology we're going about for at least the volume but now we'll look at load and the weight and how many reps we're doing the traditional belief has been that adaptions following strength training are load dependent with heavy loads moderate loads and low loads used to increase maximum strength hypertrophy and muscular endurance now generally a 1 to 15 rep range should be used with attention paid to the 6 to 15 rep range to improve muscular strength on the lower rep range and hypertrophy on the higher rep range. Now I'll adjust that slightly to say in reality strength is to that 1 to 6 um, rep range and then 6 to 15 is all starting to push towards hypertrophy and there's this kind of thought of like that dead area of six to eight or six to nine reps because who does who does six reps? It's so kind of like in the middle here. Um, I know you've got things like five by five, but let's just look at this as a holistic view of one to 15 with one to five kind of being that strength area and then more than nine to 15 being that hypertrophic region. And then some places also state with these lower loads at 15 to 25 reps, suggesting for increased in muscular endurance. But depends what field you're coming from. This isn't to say you're going to become a marathon runner. Think of doing 25 reps and how that feels of a like squat. Okay. Think how many steps you do on a marathon. They are completely different realms of force exertion. It, it could be that you're using them because you're doing something very niche like you're training for the uh, combine and you want to do these high volume uh, bench press one-off efforts and so you are looking at this kind of muscular endurance under high load but for the most part really you can kind of avoid them unless you're doing something very specific so for now we just we'll kind of ignore that 15 plus well 16 to 25 However, there is emerging evidence that indicates that similar hypertrophic responses occur across a wide spectrum of repetition ranges, even when using very light weights. As long as uh, the training is performed with a high level of effort and the number of sets is adequate. It's worth noting that for hypertrophy to occur, far more volume is needed. There's a large amount of research showing how one heavy set per week is enough to uh, see considerable strength gains in individuals. What we're going to be doing here, really, what we are going to identify from this setup is that when doing these blocks of training, we're still going to have some strength work, but usually it's just going to be snuck in. So it'll be like in on if you're doing squats, it'll be one heavy set of like five, four or five reps, and then we'll just move straight on to the hypertrophic work because that really one set on quads, one set on like. Uh, one set on push one set on pull is probably going to be enough to just see those raw strength improvements and then sort of have somewhat of a knock-on effect on your ability to perform hypertrophic work now on to what i feel like amongst people is such a big talking point even amongst people who aren't that like gym heavy 
is exercise selection in speci specifically compound versus isolation movements. I think we all know people who are heavy on free weights and compound movements and then people who are heavy on machines with isolation movements. And this one is huge when it comes to saving time on your gym sessions and maximizing muscle growth. But most people probably know that to an extent. There is a myriad of exercises to choose from when designing your strength training program, so it can be a bit overwhelming. On the very basic level, strength training exercises can be divided into single joint exercises or isolation exercises and multi-joint exercises, which are compound exercises. Single joint exercises are designed to target specific muscles. Examples include the bicep curl, shoulder adduction with dumbbells, for example, and leg extensions. The alternative multi-joint exercises activate several groups of muscles at the same time, which allows lifting of heavier weights. Examples include the squat, the bench press, the barbell row, deadlifts, and so on. Now, guidelines state that the strength training program should include both single and multi-joint exercises, but recommend uh, emphasizing multi-joint exercises as they are considered more effective in increasing overall strength and daily life function. That's from the ACSM that we mentioned earlier. Some studies have suggested that hypertrophy occurs earlier following single joint exercises as these exercises generally are easier to learn and thus require less neural adaption than multi-joint exercises. However, strength improvements in multi-joint exercises appear to be higher and more rapid than in single joint exercises. Thus, single joint exercises could provide little added benefit from a strength standpoint. This thought only stands up if you're comparing leg curl to a squat and not to a leg press. Which brings us on to free weights versus machine exercises. So free weights versus machine weights, both methods can be used effectively to increase strength and hypertrophy and there is no strong scientific evidence indicating that either methods are superior to one another. The main difference between methods is that it is easier to simulate real life movements and sports specific movements with free weights compared to most machines which usually have limited adaptability of the movement pattern they use. However, the variety of machines is pretty vast, with some allowing for training in a manner very similar to free weights to take, um, to take your pick. Sports-specific is pretty overrated, I think, for the most part. And I think, for example, say you're doing rugby and you're doing a line-out lift, do you need to have an exercise that takes you through that full movement or can you just use a machine that puts just does the shoulder press i think you're fine just developing this strength and then developing the uh, sports specific strength while performing the sport unless you're obviously doing powerlifting at which point no don't turn up to a power me having never done a bench press with a barbell bench press and have just done machine chest presses. No, not saying that. But when you're taking it to a sport that weight lifting is not the primary goal, then simply adding the mass and adding the strength is going to be adequate and sort of just get over the concept of this isn't sport specific. Now, free weights are very versatile, obviously. 
allowing for a great variety of multi-joint exercises, which again can facilitate time-efficient training sessions. Additionally, free weights can be used regardless of body type, while machines may not be well suited to certain body types. This is not to say that certain body types aren't better suited to compound lifts, but for example, a box squat can be used for long-limbed individuals, but in saying that, you can still use a partial range of motion on a leg press. Now, what we will learn is if we are strictly focused on hypertrophic gains and to some extent strength gains as well, this range of motion, specifically a part of the range of motion, is going to be particularly important for us. So let's try avoid things such as box squats unless you have an injury and you're building back. Something worth really worth mentioning is free weights can be more intimidating uh, for novice users than machines because the actual you can get on a machine and very quickly work out what it's meant to do because it physically enforces the motion the path that it has to go through whereas a free weight you don't really know if you're doing it right or not because there could be countless different ways to execute the movement both methods are considered safe if proper technique is used but machine exercises are often perceived as safer than free weight exercises which require more knowledge of proper technique and sometimes may uh, necessitate a spotter, mainly in one rep or three rep max attempts. And even if you're doing a failure exercise where you're taking the movement all the way to failure, if think if you're doing this on a leg press, it, assuming you have adequate flexibility, which usually the full range of motion in it in a uh, leg press still has some uh, left to give so you can just allow it to bottom out and then get off the machine it's as easy as that whereas if you'll get stuck at the bottom of the squat you're in a bit of a pickle now studies have shown that resistance trained participants are able to perform a one rep max lift with approximately 20% heavier loads during the barbell bench press compared to the dumbbell bench press when uh, synthesizing the body of literature training with a barbell allows for higher total muscle activation and an ability to lift heavier weights compared to dumbbells. A dumbbell exercise, however, can be good for targeting specific muscles and provide a freer range of motion, which in some cases can be desirable. Now, we're going to get onto that right this moment because this, the first time I did this review, I took this to mean that really barbell bench press is going to be far greater at stimulating uh, muscular adaptions in relation to hypertrophy than a dumbbell bench press because of this total weight increase. However, that might not be the complete picture. Now, there is a key difference when it comes to not only the fact that you can help with muscular imbalances between different sides of the body, but it's also the range of motion difference. Now, short length partials are currently the latest hypertrophy enhancing advanced training tool. Something I was made aware of listening to the Jeff Niffard podcast. I came across these, never heard of them, hadn't even seen the papers on them. So I was pretty intrigued as to what was going on here. This is where you train in the stretched portion of the lift. So for the squat, the bottom 30%, the bicep curl, the first 30%, the bench, the bottom 30%, and so on. It's essentially at the point, uh, at the bottom 30% of the eccentric part of the lift is where these enhanced gains are seen. My reason for using specifically the 30%, this is not a hard, fast rule, is simply because 
that was the range of motion used in the study I read to understand exactly what was going on here. And there are other studies who have even done 10%, so only a 10% range of motion in the most stretched part of the lift, showing matched results for hypertrophic response between that and a full range of motion when they are matched for total volume. So the only difference is the range of motion at which they are performing these exercises and they still saw matched gains, which insinuates that all these gains are happening in this part of the lift. So with that in mind, I'm not suggesting you only use these. However, choosing an exercise where you can stretch the muscle as much as possible will clearly be beneficial and could be unlocking an additional amount of gains on top of your existing full range of motion work. So using length long partials on your last set to gain some more time under tension, making a dumbbell bench press possibly a more optimal choice over a barbell bench press, is where I'm leading to at the moment. You may lift lighter weights, but maybe you go from doing 10 reps at 80 kilos on the on the barbell bench press to 13 reps at a total combined bar, uh, dumbbell weight of 70 kilos but then also at that bottom of the press you're getting deeper into that movement causing more stretch to the muscle and possibly increasing the hypertrophic response plus when you come to your final set on some of the other movements that we're going to talk about later if you're only doing one set or two sets, then you can just quickly do a drop set and then do the final portion in this last 10% to gain these enhanced gains. Bilateral and unilateral exercises, we've already kind of mentioned it by going through these free weight sections, but a quick point on this is due to the higher stability and more total muscle mass involved, training can be performed with heavier weights and higher force output during many bilateral exercises. They are also more time efficient. However, unilateral exercises can be very useful for compensating for any muscular imbalances present. So these, for the most part, won't be the primary focus that like we won't be doing single leg leg press. However, if you can clearly see a imbalance, whether that's through just muscle size, muscle appearance, or maybe you're, say, a cyclist and you can actually see it on your dual-sided power meter. These can be uh, intermittently dispersed within the training program. Now, for split or full body, essentially there is no difference. Both full body workouts and split workouts yield the same improvements when normalizing for exercise and volume. This means you can make your program however you want to suit you. Um, an example would be in reality, if you're doing a two-day program, probably a full body uh, workout is going to be the most desirable to ensure you hit all the target muscle groups. Whereas once we move to three-day, you can do a split where you do one full body day and then a two days where you do lower body one day and upper body the other day. The Doing the full body workouts, you're going to result in greater fatigue that carries over to another important exercise which is not the case when you do your split workout because really you're just sort of somewhat going down in, in diminishing levels of importance. 
So that requires a bit more planning on full body days, making sure you don't do like bench, squat, deadlift, for example, because you'd burn yourself out by the time you get to that deadlift. But there is no, in the literature at least, say you had the exact same um, exercises, now just one where you flipped them to be lower, upper, versus the same exercises as full body, full body, there is no difference. Possibly the most productive way to go about all this is uh, at home training. And what do people do at home? A lot of body weight work. Now, body weight training provides a time efficient alternative to traditional resistance exercises, as this form of training can be performed almost anywhere at any time. There is a compelling uh, evidence that a small number of upper body body weight exercises can be effective strength training alternatives such as pull-ups, chin-ups and push-ups. However, the lower limbs become more of a challenge to target due to the lack of resistance. More advanced movements such as pistol squat can be used, but this also requires a high level of flexibility and coordination and is much harder to build up to than a regular squat at which you just put the weight on your back and do the workout. Now, if you're incredibly untrained, yes, bodyweight squats can be enough, but you're soon going to surpass your own body weight as a method of inducing hypertrophic response. In theory, body weight training could be ineffective for gaining strength and muscle mass, as these adaptions are obtained by progressively overloading the neuromuscular system, irrespective of the type of external resistance. However, to make it even more effective, having a weighted vest for pull-ups and push-ups and then some kind of kettlebell for squats could make it highly uh, viable at-home alternative to the gym. Now, this could mean that you could almost do a upper and lower split. Upper body, you go to the gym and use the weights to add additional resistance. And then the lower body, you can do with simply a weighted vest, like I've said. Or alternatively, you also can focus on this additional stretched part of the lift by having some form of parallette-esque uh, device. Now, I often just use dumbbells because they add a little bit of additional height and depth to the uh, push-up. And that, thinking of the stretch we've spoken about earlier, that will induce a greater hypertrophic response. And focusing on the negative part of the push-up, ensuring you dip slowly into the push-up rather than just bouncing around. This controlled response is also critical to hypertrophic response. Now, as mentioned earlier, we have some advanced training techniques. Now, we've already mentioned the partial range of movements, but now we're going to look at supersets and drop sets, which are going to be crucial for these workout plans. Now, superset training, also known as uh, paired set training or compound sets, refer to the performance of two or more exercises in succession with limited or no rest time between them. In drop set training, Training time is reduced by minimizing the rest period between sets. The strategy involves performing a traditional set, reducing the load, and then immediately performing another set or multiple sets afterwards. Typically, one to three drops are used with a 20 to 25% reduction in weight with all sets performed to muscular failure. Both of these have potential to save time, but I personally... Um, I'm not a fan of the additional fatigue when it comes to specifically supersets and drop sets on body parts that we're already doing a large amount of volume on. So if you're doing 
five sets of um, bench press or five sets of squats, so on and so forth, doing a superset amongst that already fatiguing exercise, I'm not a fan of. However, if you are doing in a in a set a lower volume or say for example specifically triceps or biceps where we may only be able to uh, sneak in two distinct sets to then get close or reach this four set total volume we can either utilize a drop set or do a superset where we're doing antagonist muscle groups. So we're using the tricep in one movement, bicep in the other movement. And because the bicep is resting while the tricep's working, those two muscle groups can be trained at the same time in a superset without resulting in drastic levels of fatigue and building the total volume that we are doing in the gym on those smaller muscle groups. What I would also say is, moving away from the traditional superset where you do your working set, drop the weight and go straight to the other one. Give yourself like 30 seconds, um, which is a lot shorter than the amount of rest you're normally going to be using of like one and a half to two minutes between uh, working sets. So you're already saving time, but giving yourself enough of a breather to relax, get back like into the zone and perform the next exercise correctly and then take your full one and a half minutes before going back to or one minutes maybe going back to the uh, initial exercise now arguably the most important factor or one of the most important factors with being productive with this weight gain is that what happens when you can't reach your goals of three to four sets per week or 10 working sets per week how do you maintain this muscle mass so that when you stop training for a short period or a long prolonged period of time how do you maintain the muscle mass so that when you come back to um, the gym you aren't having to regain all of that again and just doing this uh, yo-yoing effect um, now when training is discontinued muscular gains are preserved for a relatively short period of time such as three weeks maybe even a bit less but prolonged periods of training ultimately result in both strength loss and atrophy, so muscle loss. However, it can be motivating to know that strength and muscular mass appear to be maintained by even small doses of training, like a fraction of your normal training volume. Generally, younger adults can probably maintain muscle mass and strength by training with as little as one brief session per week, while older adults probably need somewhat more weekly volume equating to one training session of three to four sets for each exercise may be uh, sufficient to maintain muscle strength at least for some period of time now to be fair strength in particular as we can see strength gains came from one heavy set a week you can apply this to your maintenance you do your one heavy set you maybe do two uh, heavy well i say heavy hypertrophic sets of a compound movement such as a dumbbell bench press barbell bench press barbell squat leg press these kind of big compound movements do a bit of hypertrophic work and this should stimulate enough of the muscle to keep it around and there's been studies showing that people training as low as one eighth of their total training volume can preserve this lean muscle mass for up to six months so clearly you've got a large window at which to reinitialize your enhanced or adequate progressive amount of training volume 
now that you know what you're going to be doing in the workout, you need to think what you're going to be doing pre-workout or at the beginning of the workout. A warm-up is often recommended at the start of the training session. Now, the warm-up is intended to prepare the body for both physiologically and psychologically for the training session coming up. In the belief, this will enhance performance and reduce risk of injury. Now, warm-ups fall into two categories. A general warm-up intended to increase the muscles and the body's core temperature. For example, 5-15 to 15 minutes of low-impact exercise such as like moderate-intensity stationary biking or walking and stairmaster so on and so forth or b a specific warm-up intended to increase muscular activation and provide neuromuscular rehearsal of the exercise to be performed for example performing squats with light weights before progressing to heavier squats especially a specific warm-up may help heavy one rep max lifts but this does not appear to be essential and because in this workout plan we are not going to be doing big one rep or even three rep exercises and we're going to try avoid some of the really technical compound movements this specific warm-up isn't necessarily essential although for some of them we can taper in with two quick warm-up sets regular strength uh, stretching is effective for increasing joint mobility so that's obviously a positive but is also frequently promoted by trainers and in the media as an integral part of training session to improve performance, prevent injuries and reduce delayed onset muscle soreness. However, scientific evidence does not promote stretching either for improving performance or for reducing injuries and delayed onset muscle soreness. In fact, it has been established that static stretching leads to an acute loss of strength and power. As a result, it has been coined stretch-induced strength loss and should therefore probably not be performed before strength training. More specifically, 30 to 60 minutes of stretching has been found to cause a 22%, the range being 14 to 28% in the study, acute strength loss, while shorter durations of static stretching result in approximately 8% on average reduction in strength loss. Recent research indicates that regular static stretching may impair chronic measures of strength and power. However, the impairment in strength and power primarily applies to longer sessions and not to short bouts uh, greater than 60 seconds uh, per muscle group um, of static stretching. It should be mentioned that dynamic stretching, on the other hand, does not appear to reduce strength. And our dynamic stretching really is now moving back into the more um, specific stretches. So like before you go into doing a workout, you do some uh, deep full range of motion bodyweight squats, then with the bar and so on and so forth. This isn't to say that stretching shouldn't be done at all. It's more to say that for optimizing hypertrophy during the session, you should not be doing these stretches. These should be done on a separate session, either it could be the same day in the morning, could be before you go to bed, but outside of the actual program. So now all that's out of the way, let's actually get into building the workout plan. Starting with a two-day week. This is what everything's going to be based off. The three-day week, as I've said before, will include the same exercises. You can try starting to increase the number of sets you're doing, but the important bit here is that you can do one day that is full body, one day that is upper, one day that was lower, and maybe eliminating the harder, more strenuous workouts from, or movement, should I say, from the full body day and isolating them to the individual days. Now, both days 
are going to be full body in this instance. So day one, we are going to ensure that we are still hitting all the relevant body parts. It's also important to mention that the focus of this plan will be building muscle. Adaptions can be made to target strength, which I'll explain later, but for most people intend to build muscle with strength as a side effect. What we're going to do is, it's simply just going to be one set of strength work on the big movements. Let's start with five minutes warm up, which can be a brisk walk or light cycling. Even better is if you can walk to the gym, for example, at which point we will be adequately up to speed and warmed up and you haven't actually used any of your time in the gym towards this effort. So exercise number one is five sets of nine to 12 reps of dumbbell bench press. Dumbbells are almost always free in the gym and they eliminate the need for racking and unracking plates. You can perform a quick warm up set or two then jump straight into the session with minimal time wasted. If you want to add some strength specific work to this then adding one heavy set of four to six reps can be performed on your first set. Sticking with dumbbells move to a three sets of nine to twelve reps of Romanian deadlifts. Why not conventional deadlifts? Even though I love them so much and I think they're great and I've always, I don't know, felt quite good after them, there's a few things. One, they are incredibly fatiguing and make it hard to continue the workout with intensity needed when you are on such a time budget. They don't provide a particularly large stretch up to the muscle and there's an injury and ego lift potential involved with deadlifting and the complexity of the movement. Both of these, as you will see, the reason I've picked as well, the two dumbbell movements one availability but also the amount of stretch that you can get on these movements on one the hamstrings and two the pectoral and i suppose front delt region keeping with the trend we will now use dumbbells or kettlebells if available kettlebell i think is easier for this movement just because of its shape uh, to do five sets of nine to twelve reps of goblet squats ensuring we really go deep and stretch the muscle at the bottom the weight really doesn't matter too much um, and you don't necessarily need to go too high on this now alternatively for individual leg work we can utilize some step ups again using dumbbells or kettlebells but this is one of the work movements where both are going to be targeting the legs one can be used for just a bit it's just well one because we've got the uh, single leg movement but also they're both going to provide adequate amount of strength and this isn't the primary heavy lift exercise this is the going to be stimulating through volume moving on to bent over reverse dumbbell flies for one set of 10 to 15 reps with a drop set any of these where there's one set and it's 10 to 15 reps really it's kind of a failure you're looking to exhaust the muscle at around the 10 to 15 rep range then drop the dumbbells to then perform one further set which is the drop set this is to target the rear delts which are often forgotten and play an important role in overall health as they will help balance your shoulder with other overdeveloped front delts and stabilize the neck. This is an exercise that can be swapped out for a machine such as the pec deck or cable machine to perform face pulls. If the cable machine to use, uh, are used to perform face pulls then you can turn around after one set to perform one set of 12 to 15 reps of overhead tricep extension with a drop set to target the triceps some more. Now this is great if the dumbbells I've mentioned them primarily because we are already using dumbbells but also this can be something that can be done at home whereas the cable orientated setup is going to be really time efficient 
because of moving the weight around and moving from exercise to exercise however really requires a gym the likelihood you've got one at home unlikely so that is the ideal sort of gym movement we can then move on to lateral raises and this can be performed after the target the side delts with the same reps using one set and then a drop set so again 12 to 15 with the first set to failure and then the second set to failure again moving on to a machine next is the one set of 9 to 12 reps of sat down cable rows I, I don't know the actual name for these but it's easiest to describe them is when you are sat with your legs straight and you're doing the rows I feel using the machine in this way gives people more control over the movement especially in the stretched portion of the lift and if you do bent over rows there can often be some movement from the legs to get the weight up and it's a bit more of an explosive exercise rather than a hypertrophy one I would personally say now hopefully this machine also allows you to switch to perform a lat pull down so at this point move to one set of 9 to 12 reps of medium grip um, then the same with a slightly wider grip getting two sets in here across a slightly different grip range to activate slightly different parts of the back and get overall adequate growth this brings us to the end of this exercise uh, this day I haven't included any uh, ab work but you can quickly on your way out of the gym get either something like leg raises uh, using either the pull-up bar or if you've got a machine that supports I say a machine sort of a bench the upright bench that you can support your back to really focus on the abdominals and then again utilizing the stretched part of the lift when you fail to be able to do your legs parallel you can then add a drop set that would effectively be the lower portion the lower 30 percent of the work again trying to control the eccentric as much as possible or utilizing the uh, reduction in leg length so curling your legs up a little bit during the leg raise now we're moving on to day two now starting with hack squats perform one heavy set of four to six reps followed by four sets of nine to twelve reps you don't necessarily need to do the heavy set but it prevent, presents an opportunity to include it there are often various different leg press machines available at the gym so hopefully one fits you well and you can always chop and change from week to week for some variety between hack squats and leg press hack squat uh, act, slightly different muscle activation i would say it allows for a greater range of motion and depth in the squat because it greater merits a regular squat but the reason I've chosen this is similar to the, bar, the dumbbell movement. One is the technicality of doing squats compared to doing a machine-assisted squat. It also provides some level of safety for the uh, bailing out of the exercise. But then also more importantly, availability and also the ease of loading it up quickly and deloading it quickly. Next we have calves, which will be somewhat of a neglected at this point and seeing as you are on the leg press if possible adjust so that you can perform four sets of 10 to 15 reps of calf raises you can use another machine any form of way of uh, inducing calf raises there are standing and seated if you have both machines available to you and they happen to be next to each other and it's an efficient use of time or you they are available on the day this is a movement where okay great stimulate both portions of the gastroc 
well, both portions of the calf muscle in total. If you can only use the leg press and convert it, then do so. But four sets of 10 to 15 reps of calf raises. I think there is generally more control on a machine over doing body weight or other weighted forms of calf raises. Just make sure you're not bouncing at the bottom of the movement and you're allowing that stretch at the bottom, setting that and then making sure that you're not using the sort of elastic slash mechanical advantage of the energy return from the Achilles and you're making sure that all of this is just pure force going through the calf. Moving on to incline dumbbell press with the bench around 60 degrees to target delts and the upper chest. This will be set of three sets uh, which are 9 to 12 reps. Using the same bench perform two sets of 10 to 15 reps to, uh, of incline dumbbell rows. You could use a machine but the chance of the machine being in close proximity are unlikely. This is a movement that can be supersetted but I prefer to just keep them separate unless you are on a severe time crunched plan. The incline dumbbell or bench press has been shown to have adequate if not matched uh, performance in uh, growth of the lower and mid part of the chest with then substantial enhancement to the upper part of the chest. I believe doing both in this instance so we've already got the uh, flat press now we're going to add the incline press to make sure we're targeting that upper part of the chest and filling that area out. As you are around the dumbbells at this point get one set of 10 to 15 reps of bicep curls followed by a drop set an easy bar can be used instead of the dumbbells but again we're just doing 10 to 15 reps failing at some point in that rep range then dropping and then performing another set to failure once you get good at this you'll hit basically 10 to 15 reps on both the initial set and the drop set as um, again now we're moving on to uh, two sets of 10 to 15 reps of seated hamstring curls this machine in prior experience can sometimes receive a lot of uh, attention and can be a bit harder to get hold of so again with all these other than the first three really just keep an eye on some of these machines if you see them go open when you're uh, you finished one working set of something else move over do it the seated over the lying down hamstring curls allows for greater stretch and making sure that the uh, back rest is as somewhat vertical as possible or even leaning over to ensure that you're getting adequate stretch again that we've hammered home really at this point during the lift is going to be uh, optimal to finish off i like to perform one set of pull-ups 9 to 12 reps then chin-ups these can be assisted because in the early days these are going to be quite hard to perform so an assisted pull-up great now you're going to superset this with both closed grip push-ups uh, of 10 to 15 reps if not too much hassle and body weight um, closed grip push-ups are not enough or even diamond push-ups which would be really i'd be impressed if these are going to be you're hitting 15 reps already then grab a plate and put it on your back and increase the loading dumbbells could be used for close grip to get a greater range of motion but it is quite awkward so diamond close grip will be the initial um, progression then we're moving on to diamond and then possibly on to weighted diamond push-ups so how close do we get to meeting the weekly volume targets that we set out initially uh, well your pecs slash chest all have done 10 sets across dumbbell press incline press and 
of press-ups, hamstrings have received 5 sets across RDLs and seated hamstring curls, quads have performed 10 sets across global, uh, goblet squat and leg press, delts have received 9 reps across double pre- uh, dumbbell press, incline press, lateral raises and bent over dumbbell flies, 8 sets of, for the triceps across dumbbell press, triceps extensions and close grip press-ups, 6 sets for, uh, for the back across cable rows, dumbbell rows and pull-ups slash chin-ups. Uh, the calf has received four sets using machine calf raises or a various mixture of different calf raises. Uh, biceps have received one, maybe two sets across curls and some extent the chin-ups. This is probably the uh, least exposed muscle group in all of this. Uh, and then the the core has received, arguably there's a bit of activation going on on the uh, chin-ups and pull-ups. However, the main isolation movements were the leg raises. Now, as I said at the beginning of all this, if you have more time, it's pretty easy to adapt this training plan. Three days a week means you have one full body day and one upper and one lower day. Four days gives you two upper days and two lower days. There's no longer a need to do full body. At five days, I think you're becoming uh, a pretty serious uh, lifter in this respect. This, to some extent, moves away from the model currently being used and we're going towards less of the maximizing productivity in the gym but more to a optimizing overall training for hypertrophy which will be slightly different when you have more days uh, such as three four and five days feel free to bring back in the compound movements like squats deadlifts and bench press However, I would probably leave them out until you have the four days really uh, to train unless you're getting ready for powerlifting meet and so on and so forth because in reality these are incredibly fatiguing movements and they can limit your ability to maximize these other hypertrophic movements that we're focusing on. What is your takeaway from this then? Do you feel a bit less daunted with the gym or going to the gym in general? Are you someone who already goes and will use this to optimize your current existing plan or even someone taking some time to reduce volume and plan to use this in a way that maintains muscle mass? For more content like this, explore my previous episodes and consider following, rating and sharing the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. Share your thoughts or suggest future topics at the vo2lounge at gmail.com or at the vo2lounge discord server, links down below. Thank you for tuning in and until next time, it's goodbye.